Zero Hours, Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero Hours! This is Zero Hours Presents History. <laughs> this episode is part two of The Secret Annex. So a month after Anne's 13th birthday, on Wednesday the 8th of July, a call-up notice arrives at the house. Initially, Anne and Margot think that this is for Otto, but then it becomes apparent that it's for Margot. She was only 16 years old. They had been planning on going into hiding on the 16th of July, but this summons brought their plan forward. Although Otto had mentioned to Anne a few days earlier that they may be going into hiding, telling her to make the most of your carefree young life as you can, it hadn't been mentioned as to where they would go. The less they knew, the better. Margot and Anne began to pack their things in their school bags. Anne said, The first thing I put in was this diary. Then hair curlers, handkerchiefs, school books, a comb, old letters. I put in the craziest things with the idea that we were going into hiding. But I'm not sorry. Memories mean more to me than dresses. At 5pm, Otto came home from work. They rang Joe Kleiman and asked him to come round, whilst Herman Van Pels went to get Meep Hayes and tell her the news. Meep and Nyan came to the house and Edith began to give them bundles of clothes and shoes to tuck in their clothes to take to their home and deliver to the hiding place later. They couldn't take anything in bags as this would arouse suspicion. They did this as many times as they could. The Franks had a lodger called Mr Goldsmith staying at the house, so had to try and make everything seem normal whilst they were making these preparations. He didn't go to bed until 10pm. Edith's hair was escaping from her bun into her eyes. Anne's eyes were like saucers, scared and excited. She brought too many things and she was told to take them back by her mum. The next day, Monday, it was raining. Meep rode her bicycle to the Frank's house and met Margot, who was wearing many layers of clothes. She had taken the star off her coat so that she could ride her bicycle without suspicion. As they left, Edith and Anne stood in the doorway watching them go. They pedalled silently the whole way to the offices, but luckily the rain had kept the police inside. They arrived at the offices soaked, left their bikes in the warehouse and headed inside. Margot was on the verge of crumbling. She was in shock. Meep grabbed her by the arm and silently took her up to the hiding place, leaving her there. She said it felt cold to have done that, leaving her on her own, but the other employees were about to arrive and she needed to be out of the way before that happened. When Joe Kleiman arrived, he took Margot's bike and hid it. Then later that morning, Otto, Edith and Anne arrived wearing many layers of clothes. Anne was wearing two vests, three pairs of knickers, a dress, a skirt, a jacket, a summer coat, two pairs of stockings, lace-up shoes, a woolen hat and a scarf. They left a note at their house suggesting that they had gone to Switzerland to stay with Otto's mother. They had only told Anne where they would be hiding on their walk to the hiding place. Meep hurried them upstairs into the hiding place and at lunchtime, when everyone was out, went upstairs to join them. Edith and Margot were like lost people, sat amongst the boxes of things that had been smuggled in. Otto and Anne were the clearer-uppers, spending the next two days unpacking boxes. Anne said that she hardly had chance to think about the great change to my life until Wednesday. On the day they left, Hannah Gosler called for Anne, but heard from their lodger that they'd fled to Switzerland. She went to tell Jacqueline van Marsen, and both of them returned to the Frank family home to see if they could find Anne's diary, because apparently it had descriptions of all the boys and girls from the class in it. Obviously they didn't find it but Jacqueline was also looking for a goodbye letter from Anne. Three years later, at the end of the war, she was just to receive that letter. If the Germans haven't yet been to our house, you could go to Mr Goldschmidt and ask to pick up some of our books and board games. You can keep them for yourself or save them for me. The Gosler family had initially been a little bit hurt by the Frank family's decision to go into hiding with the Van Pels family and not them. They got on very well and saw each other often, but it would have been impossible. Hannah's younger sister was only two years old and her mother was expecting another baby, so they did understand why it would have been impossible for them to have gone into hiding with them. 
They were, however, able to buy South American citizenship through an uncle in Switzerland as they were expats. This meant that they had passports from Paraguay, which saved them from a number of roundups. By Saturday the 11th of July, Edith and Margot had settled in a little bit better. Edith was feeling well enough to cook for the family. Anne says that she doesn't think she will ever feel at home in this house, but that doesn't mean I loathe it here. It's more like being on holiday in a very peculiar boarding house. Her dad has brought her film star collection and her postcards, so she gets to work sticking these to her bedroom walls to make the place brighter. She shares a room with her sister while Edith and Otto have the room next door. Auguste and Herman are to sleep on a fold-out bed in the communal living space and kitchen while Peter has a small room in the attic to himself. On Monday the 13th of July the Van Pels family arrive a day early. Nazis began taking people in for deportation off the streets so they thought it was best to arrive sooner rather than later. At 9.30am Peter arrived while they were still having breakfast. Anne describes him as not yet 16, a rather soft, shy, gawky youth. Can't expect much from his company. He brought his cat Mushi with him. Mr and Mrs Van Pels arrive half an hour later and to our great amusement she had a large potty in her hat box. I don't feel at home anywhere without my chamber, she declared. Herman Van Pels had brought a folding tea table under his arm. Meet Haves observed that Mrs Frank continued in those first days to be very, very low. Margot too was very low, so silent and undemonstrative. Always kind, always helpful, Margot had a way of making herself invisible. She never got in the way, she made no demands. Margot and Peter were quite withdrawn, always part of the background. Mrs Van Pels was temperamental, flirty, chatty. Mrs Frank, kind and orderly, very quiet, but aware of everything that went on around her. Mr Van Pels was the joke teller, something of a pessimist, always smoking, somewhat restless. Mr Frank was the calm one, the children's teacher, the most logical, the one who balanced everyone out. He was the leader, the one in charge. When a decision had to be made, all eyes turned to Mr Frank. On from Friday the 21st of August, Johannes Voskel fitted the bookcase over the doorway and the hiding place became fully secure. By the end of September, term time begins again and Otto takes on the role of teacher, tutoring Margot, Peter and Anne in maths, Dutch, French, English and so on. By September, cracks are beginning to show in relationships. Mr and Mrs Van Pels argue loudly over small things and often criticise the way that Anne and Margot were brought up. Herman Van Pels said that Anne was frightfully spoiled and hadn't been properly brought up, but the children are often defended by their parents. On the 1st of October 1942, Anne writes about Auguste Van Pels, whose birthday had been two days previous, that her her attempts to flirt with Daddy are a source of continual irritation to me. She strokes his face and hair, pulls her skirt right up, makes so-called witty remarks, trying in this way to attract his attention. Thank goodness he doesn't find her attractive or funny, so he doesn't play ball. Mummy doesn't behave like that to Mr Van Pels. I've said this to Mrs Van Pels' face. Around this time, the roundups were intensifying. At Meet and Jan's home, the landlady's daughter, son-in-law and their two children were desperately trying to find a safe house. Jan warned them not to go to Central Station, as there were lots of police there. One day, Meep and Jan returned home to find that they'd disappeared. Mrs Stoppelman, their landlady, had been quite shaken by their departure into hiding. Meep suggests that Mrs Stoppelman goes to stay with her adoptive parents for a while and she goes. Later that night, a woman knocks at the door. With her, one by her side and one in her arms, are Mrs Stoppelman's grandchildren. The lady explains that the parents were arrested at Central Station. I have orders to bring these children to this address, she said, and then disappeared into the night. They made inquiries and through some students managed to get the daughter to a safe house in Utrecht and the son to a place in Emen. They knew that their landlady planned to go into hiding and after they had returned from a short holiday in the countryside just outside Amsterdam, they found that she had left for hiding in Hilversum. In October 1942, Anne's friend from school, Hannah Gosler, lost her mother during childbirth. The baby was stillborn. Anne was told about 
about the death of the baby but not Hannah's mother. They didn't want to upset her. Meet Pace, by this point, had begun censoring the news she brought somewhat. She originally told everyone everything that was happening in the outside world, but that did nothing other than make everyone upset and scared. Also, towards the end of 1942, Jacqueline Van Marsen's mother decided to take action to save her children. They were approaching the age of 16, meaning that they could have received a summons like Margot did. One day, her mother, Aline, put on her finest clothes, a full face of makeup, and headed to the Uterp Street HQ, where she registered with the duty officer and informed him she wanted to speak to a senior SD commander who could speak French. This was customary. The German middle and upper classes spoke French, as French culture was admired in Germany. She said to the officer, You have to help me. My husband is a Jew, and he had me registered as a Jewess without my consent, and now my two children are in danger. The officer was impressed by her looks. Most people were looking quite dishevelled after two years of occupation. Her personality and her disloyalty to her husband. Her ruse worked, and she was assured that her children would be fine if she could provide the birth and baptism certificates of her four grandparents. With some difficulty, she was able to provide them, and just like that, from one day to the next, they were allowed to take the Star of David off their clothes and no longer had to attend the Jewish schools. Her father was not happy, but her mother's actions ultimately saved her children. In November 1942, Meet visits her dentist, Fritz Pfeffer. He is a Jewish man she met through the Frank family, and like them, he is a German immigrant. Like Otto, he fought for Germany in the First World War. It's illegal for her to go, but she still uses his services. He asks her if she knows of any hiding places, and initially she says no, but brings it up with Otto when she next sees him. Several days later, Otto takes Meep to one side and tells her that they have discussed it, and comes to the conclusion that where seven can eat, eight can eat as well. They wanted Pfeffer to come the very next morning to minimise the risk of him telling anyone about it, but he refused. He had an important appointment with one of his patients the following day. The people of the annex came to the conclusion that they respected a dentist for honouring his responsibility towards his patients and agreed that he could come the following Monday, the 16th of November, 1942. Meep told him to be outside the post office for 11am. Joe Kleiman went to meet him and took him to the Apecta offices. He had never met Joe or been to the offices, so he had no reason to suspect anything. He had assumed that he would be hidden outside of the country. He was very surprised when Meep took him into the secret annex. He, like everyone else, had assumed the Frank family were in Switzerland. Pfeffer, who in the diary was Albert Dussel, was a 53-year-old man, and he was to share a room with Anne while Margot went to sleep in the same room as Otto and Edith. Pfeffer had a son, Werner, from his first marriage, who he raised alone. He found a place for his 15-year-old son on a boat to England, where he was to be looked after by Fritz's brother, Ernest. Fritz is married in all but name, the race laws prevent it, to a Catholic woman called Charlotte Coletta, and Meek becomes the courier for their letters. Initially, Anne is very excited to be having another person join them in hiding, describing Fritz as a very nice man on the 19th of November 1942. But this doesn't last, and they have numerous falling outs. On the 13th of July, she writes about how she had asked Fritz if she could use the table in their room for an hour and a half, twice a week, and he said no, saying that she doesn't work seriously at anything. He disregards her need for space, as in her mind she's just a child. Mr Frank has a word with him and he finally gives in, but not without a fight. Anne concludes that a person of 54 who is still so pedantic and small-minded must be so by nature and will never improve. By early 1943, cabin fever is very much set in. On the 30th of January, Anne writes that she is boiling with rage and yet I mustn't show 
it. I'd like to stamp my feet, scream, give mummy a good shake, cry and I don't know what else because of the horrible words, mocking looks and accusations which are levelled at me every day and find their marks, like shafts from a tightly strung bow and which are just as hard to draw from my body. It upsets her that she's often treated as a child and she is often compared to Margot. Anne's behaviour is frequently criticised as a group pastime. She says, if I talk, everyone thinks I'm showing off. When I'm silent, they think I'm ridiculous. Rude if I answer. Sly if I get a good idea. Lazy if I'm tired. Selfish if I eat a mouthful more than I should. Stupid, cowardly, crafty, etc, etc. It causes her to become incredibly self-critical. A routine had emerged within the secret annex. At 6.45, the first alarm goes off and Mr and Mrs Van Pels head to the bathroom. At 7.15, Pfeffer gets up and it's his turn and Anne takes down the blackout blinds. At 8.30am, employees would arrive for work and everyone would have to be quiet. Meep would go up first thing in the morning to get a list of groceries and other necessities. At lunchtime, around 1 o'clock, Bet Vosco would go to visit. She would often eat there as food was scarce at her home. Meep and Jan, Kleiman and Googler would also go up for lunch to share the news of the day. Everyone would listen to the BBC on the radio before eating. The men and women would separate asking for news. Meep and Jan lived across the road from Jacqueline Van Marsen and her family, so Anne would often ask for reports. Around 1.45, everyone returns to work, both in the annex and the offices. In the lull of the afternoon, Meep would go up for a proper visit and to deliver groceries, and Joe Kleiman and Victor Kugler would often go up to visit discreetly throughout the day and to ask business questions of Otto and Herman. At 5.30, when the last employee had left, someone would head upstairs to let them know it was safe to make noise again. Dinner would be eaten around this time, and then they could head down into the offices, Anne and Margot occasionally taking on administrative tasks to help out Meep and Bet. Peter would collect the potatoes, which were left in a cupboard in the warehouse by a kindly greengrocer Meep frequently visited, who almost certainly knew that she was hiding people. At 9pm, everyone begins to get ready for bed. The Van Pels would fold down their bed. Anne sleeps on a little divan which is no more than a metre and a half long, so chairs have to be used to lengthen it. At 9.30, Anne gets to use the bathroom after Peter, and she is usually called back once for the various hairs that decorate the wash bed and graceful curves but which are not approved of by the next person. At 10pm the blackout blinds go up and everyone goes to sleep. Then at 11.30pm, Pfeffer returns from the night work in Kugler's office. In February 1943, the owners of the building that the Apecta offices were based at sold the building without informing the staff so the helpers were understandably on edge when the new owners called by with an architect to look over the building. Joe Kleinman told them that the key to the secret annex had been lost and luckily they inquired no further. In April 1943, Beck Voskel's father, Johannes, has to go into hospital with his stomach cancer, meaning that he can no longer be the warehouse manager. He's replaced by William Van Maren, who suspects that there may be people hiding. He sets traps in the warehouse to see if anyone has come through after closing time, for example, balancing a pencil on the edge of the desk. With Voskel gone and Van Maren in his place, the sense of security that they previously had is gone. Bet nurses her father until his death in November 1945. In the spring of 1943, Meep and Jan had gone to visit their landlady who was in hiding in Hilversum. The lady she was hiding with had a son, Carol van der Heuvel, a student who had refused to sign an oath the Nazis were trying to get all students to sign to make them agree to refrain from any acts that would negatively impact the Nazis. The Hayes agreed to take him into hiding with them at their home in Amsterdam. They did not mention this to the people in the secret annex as they didn't want to worry them. On the 12th of June, Anne celebrates her 14th birthday. Although as the war draws on, it becomes more and more difficult to acquire foods and gifts. Every birthday and holiday is celebrated in the annex. It's important to keep up morale. Otto wrote Anne a poem in German and Margot translated it into English. 
Though youngest here, you are no longer small, but life is very hard since one and all. Aspires to be your teacher thus and thus. We know because we did it long ago. Elders are better, you must know. At least that's been the rule since life began. Our personal faults are much too small to scan. This makes it easier to criticise the faults of other which seem double-sized. Please bear with us, your parents, for we try to judge you fairly and with sympathy. Correction takes sometimes against your will, though it's like swallowing a bitter pill, which must be done if we're to keep the peace. While time goes by, till after all this suffering cease, you read and study nearly all day, who might have lived in such a different way. You never bored and bring us all fresh air. Your only moan is, what can I wear? I have no knickers, or my clothes are small, my vest might be a loincloth, that is all. To put on shoes would mean to cut off toes. Oh dear, I'm worried by so many woes. Anne had grown 13 centimetres in height during her time in the secret annex, whilst Margot only grew one centimetre. If you go to the Anne Frank house, you can still see the markings on the wall where her dad had measured them. It was very difficult to get extra clothes, so Anne just had to make do. It was also becoming apparent that Anne needed glasses. Meep discussed taking her to an optician's down the road as quickly and discreetly as possible, but it was agreed by all that it was much too dangerous. In the early morning of the 20th of June 1943, the streets of South Amsterdam were closed down and the Nazis began going door to door, rounding up Jews. The Gosler's family's South American passports were no longer enough to protect them. Hannah, her father and her younger sister were all put in trucks and sent to Vesterbork. Vesterbork had originally been built by the Dutch as a camp for illegal immigrants, but it had been repurposed as a transit camp, holding Jews on the way to the work and extermination camps in the east. Vesterbork was comparatively nice. It had a school, orchestra, hairdresser and even restaurants. All this was to give people a false sense of hope and security and prevent problems occurring during transports. During this June roundup, Meep and Yanji's had a Jewish neighbour come to the house to ask if they could look after her cat, Berry, until she got back from the camp. They took the cat in, but the owner never came back to collect her. On the 16th of July 1943, there was a burglary at the Apecta warehouse. The people in hiding had slept through it, but two cash boxes containing 40 guilders, blank gyro and bank checks and coupons for 150 kilograms of sugar were stolen. By the end of 1943, everyone's relationships had well and truly deteriorated, despite always putting on a cheery face when the helpers came to visit. Anne favoured her father, while Margot favoured her mother, and this was difficult for her. She feels that her mum doesn't understand her and makes jokes at her expense. The Van Pels often argue, and August is accused of withholding food. Fritz Pfeffer is very withdrawn and grumpy. He's the only person there without a family member and must have been very lonely. I suppose house shares are always hard at the best of times. There's always someone stealing your food or being noisy. Or in the case of one house share I was in, using your towel to soak up a leaking toilet. But when you consider that the only reason you're in a house share is because your country has been invaded and they want to hunt you down and kill you, tensions are of course going to be running high. You're not going to be your best self, are you? Also, by the end of 1943, the Nazis had begun random roundups in the streets of Dutchmen between the ages of 16 and 40 to be sent to Germany for forced labour, which made it dangerous for some of the helpers to even get to work. On Christmas Eve 1943, Anne quoted Goethe, saying she was on top of the world or in the depth of despair. By the 6th of January 1944, she says, my longing to talk to somebody became so intense that somehow or other I took it in my head to choose Peter. This blossomed into a relationship beyond just talking. They had their first kiss on the 15th of April 1944. When she confided in her father, the parents became quite disapproving of the relationship and asked her to stop visiting him in the attic so often, but she continued to visit him anyway. Margot said in a letter to Anne that she wasn't jealous of her relationship with Peter, but she was sad that she didn't have someone similar 
that she could talk to. This relationship with Peter seemed to lift Anne's moods, although towards her last diary entries she seemed to recognise that this was more of a relationship of convenience. She says that Peter is good and he is a darling, but still there's no denying that there is a lot about him that disappoints me. In March 1944, the people supplying Meep and Yan with illegal ration cards were caught. Luckily, Yan was able to come by five cards, but that would still make feeding eight people difficult. Around this time, Omnia, a German company run by Dutch Nazis, had visited the G's house to liquidate the landlady's property. They were able to pass all of the belongings off as their own, but their visit was troublesome given that they had Carol hiding in their house. He went undetected, but foolishly decided to go to the horse races a few weeks later, where there was a round-up. He was asked for his address and let go. He gave his true address, which put so many people in danger that he had to leave the house at once. Luckily, the police never came for him, and he was invited back into hiding with Yan and me. On the night of the 9th of April 1944, there was an altogether more serious burglary at the Apexa warehouse. At 9.30pm, burglars kicked a hole in the wall of the warehouse. The four men went downstairs and tried to board up the hole, but the burglars kicked it through again. Herman Van Pels hit the ground with an axe and shouted, Police! which drove the burglars off. A married couple, the kind grocer that Meep Hayes had been visiting, shone a torch through the hole in the wall and everyone retreated back to the hiding place. The police came in to have a look at the building, getting so close as to rattle on the bookcase before leaving. Just over a month later, on the 25th of May, 1944, the grocer was picked up by the police for hiding two Jews in his home. This was to make the procurement of enough vegetables to feed everyone incredibly difficult for Meep. Join me next time for part three.